Hello, this is Philippe Robert, the Global Sales and Marketing Director here at Akusnak Practice. We are reinventing the experience of care. Uh, we are here today with Melissa Nobile. Uh, Melissa is a psychologist and operation coordinator and project manager here at Akusnak Practice. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning. We are here today talking about the mental health crisis facing young people in the wake of COVID-19. Thank you for bringing your knowledge on that matter. The UK universities have been encouraged to allow students to return home to see their loved ones amid fears that local mental health services cannot cope. This comes as a national union of students called for urgent action to address students' well-being after exceptionally high dropouts rate and numerous cases of suicide at education institutions during the pandemic. Melissa, how serious is the mental health toll on university students as the pandemic continues and why is it particular at this age group? So from the what we're observing currently and what's being reported pretty much worldwide in countries um, most affected by the pandemic, it, it seems to be, for now at least, pretty serious. You have to imagine at that age, because you ask about why university students It's an age usually where you're experiencing for the first time independence. You're going to maybe start living alone or living on campus in this case, especially in the UK, the US, and some cultures where there's such a huge component associated to going to university. And then you have this pandemic shuts down that whole system and that whole tradition for a lot of people. And so it's, it's not difficult for me to imagine how Of course, this plus the isolation, plus not being able perhaps to travel and see the loved ones and loads of different factors why it would be a challenging time for them and difficult to, to cope with. Mm -hmm. Particularly not being able to attend the courses in at university, for instance, having to go and work through computer and, yeah. and, and webinars and so on and so forth is creating more complexity, isn't it? more complexity and it takes away from the experience of being with your peers in a group and the excitement of everything that sometimes goes on on campus and to work alone from home you also have to be able to have a certain independence and ability to organize yourself in a way that you'll show up for classes um, which which is not easy for everybody we're all different and, and for some it's just more difficult than for others And so what should uh, loved ones do to help ease these mental strains and, and what signs should they be looking for, particularly the schools or the universities and then obviously the beloved ones when they look at that population of, of young people in facing COVID situations? It can be quite easy for young people to hide what's going on for them or for everybody actually. But what you would notice as a sign is something that just... It, diverges from what you would usually observe in, in that person that you know. Someone who usually answers his text quite quickly and likes to phone you and suddenly isn't picking up the phone so much. Or someone, if it's one of your friends in class, that's not showing up for class anymore. It can be weight gain, it can be weight loss, it can be someone who's expressing feelings that, oh, this, this is really difficult for me, feelings of hopelessness, for example. Um, so it can be pretty much anything you can think of that in your experience of being around that person is just different from the person you usually know. Um, that would be the signs that can be so different from one person to the other. And if you do see that, it's good to ask the question and check on that person and ask them if they're okay. 
COVID-19 situation is a huge dilemma for, for, for families, isn't it? It should be bringing their kids back to home after and rather than leave them in university residences where the virus has been highly spreading and fastly spreading. So I can imagine the kind of stress that those families have, mm-hmm. don't you? Don't you? It's a difficult decision to make because there's no textbook telling you, okay, in this situation, I think my child should come home or they should stay in the dorm and in the university campus or wherever they are. And it, it's a, there's no right or wrong decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's each family has, has to make the decision that feels most right for them based on their own individual situation. If you have a family member that's more at risk, well, it might be best that we don't bring another person, for example, in the setting. There's no one answer fits all. And um, I'd encourage people to tune in to what feels right for them based on observations and maybe a list of pros and cons that they can do. So we do have a lot of guidelines in that respect for, for, for the parents that we are, we're, we're working with on, on those kind of topics overcoming COVID-19. We have some guidelines that we can actually go along and, and implement. Uh, similarly, according to the youth uh, charity Young Minds, 69% of school students describe their mental health as poor since they have been back in education. And that has risen from 58% who describe their mental health as poor before returning to school. How alarming are these figures and what do they indicate in your opinion? The fact that we have, according to Young Charity Minds, 69% of school students describe their mental health as poor since they have been back in education. And that has risen from 58% who describe their mental health as poor before returning to school. That's really interesting. So that there would be an increase in the mental health difficulties, although they're back in school, if I understand well. Well, the first thing I can say is we don't know for a fact. Um, It's not because these numbers are reported that they indicate that it has anything to do with being in school versus not being in school. It could simply be the time frame at which the questions are asked where we're further in the pandemic and therefore there's other uh, consequences. I'm not exactly sure when these numbers were were reported, but in all cases, whether it's 58 or I think you said 69%, it remains alarming numbers because that's um, that's more than one out of two children. If you take the time to let that sink in, that's having a difficult time, and that yeah. is alarming. Actually, it's all, it's, it, it's more than two to three. Two to three. If yeah. we really let that sink in. Two in three feeling that bad coming back to school is obviously uh, very yeah. worrying. Absolutely. Yes. And then still in those numbers, which are very interesting, going through 40% of respondents say that they, there was no school counselor available to support students in their own school. Can you imagine? These figures are worrying and really emphasize the importance of family in helping ease the effect of pandemic on their children. Um, thinking there's no you know, psychologist or, or no help uh, in the schools that they've been in is, is quite unthinkable. So what kind of methods should you family members employ then if they've got to substitute themselves to that kind of lacking psychology support? It's, um, it depends if your child is struggling or not. So if everything's going well, it's business as usual and you don't particularly need to substitute yourself or worry about it too much it's if you're seeing that your child is having a difficult time and you can't access a resource of support in school 
where I'd encourage you to seek professional support outside. It can be just one consultation, just to get a bit of direction and maybe get a few keys and skills on how you can support your child. And almost a quarter of the respondent, 23%, so it's almost one in four, said that there was less mental health support in their school than before the pandemic. It's, it's really wild. Only 9% agreed that there was uh, more mental health support. So what should schools and colleges be doing to address the mental health of their students, in your opinion? There's a lot of things schools could do. I think w one thing that, as a psychologist, I would find helpful to get out there is encourage direction in the school uh, to um, educate, perhaps, teachers on what, on why this is a difficult time for children and teenagers and to start building that understanding around, okay, what is the normal developmental process that adolescents goes through? I know I talked a little bit in the past and why it makes sense that they're facing challenges and it can start building that empathy, but it, it can also give a few of a framework and a way of positioning them faced with, um, I don't know, a 15-year-old that's no longer coming to class and dropped out and to start thinking, okay, what could be going on for them and how can we help them better? That would be a first step. And it can also be, I know of uh, I know of one school actually that opened a, um, a two, I think they did two weekly groups for students where they could just come and talk about what they're currently experiencing with this pandemic and how they're struggling and they get support from different teachers who are just also happy to, to be there for support and it creates a sense of community and it makes it okay to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. That could be a few things that schools could do. Yeah, indeed. Separate research from the Prince's Trust found that more than a quarter of young people felt unable to cope with life amid the pandemic and almost a third had panic attacks. More than one in three young people say they'd struggle to think clearly. All these figures indicate that there is a potential mental health time bomb emerging among a generation of young people. Does it not? And, and, and how worrying is that? It's worrying. It's, um, if we look at the timeline of this pandemic, during the first wave, we were we were in it, we were all hopeful that by the summer things would more or less go back to normal for our youth. And then there was the summer break and nobody was, we were trying to not think too much of what would happen next and just see what happens when it actually happens. And now we're in this second wave, a third wave in some countries. We're seeing more and more that, yes, services um, in hospitals and clinics, in outpatient settings that treat, you know, young below 25 years old, let's say, and children, they're seeing a huge increase in the demand. And we're in the midst of being able to put in place loads of different services that are going to be able to support um, our younger generation. And, and we're in, in the first wave, it appeared to me anyway, when I was reading the media, the news coverage, we weren't thinking too much of the mental health in general of people. We were in the crisis doing the emergency thing to get by. And now that it's become a longer term problem, uh, this pandemic, we're starting to actually look at how it's impacting people, including the younger generation. And it does feel like it's a, it's a time bomb that's emerging. 
Thank you, Melissa. I was today here with Melissa Nobile. She's the um, psychologist, operations and coordination and project manager here at the Kusner practice. Thank you very much. For